Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, Mazel Tov, and welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. May we share many tzimachot. Everybody in Klai Yisrael should have uh, only happy occasions to celebrate. Amen. Um, You know, I remember back in the 90s, uh, before 9-11, when we would have these conversations, and uh, very often, um, even though people were not, I don't know, tuned into it or weren't ready to hear it, very often you would speak to us about Islamic fundamentalism, and it seemed that that was the, that was the theme very often of, of what news items people paid least attention to. And I, I think I found an equivalent, frankly, and I don't know if you agree with me on this because maybe you think people, people are paying more attention to it, but I, I think we may have found the equivalent in terms of the rampant anti-Semitic episodes that are going on in our country these days. I don't know if you saw this or not. I'd love your, uh, I'd love your reaction to it. Melissa Weiss on Twitter wrote, an incoming college freshman whose great-grandfather founded New York University's music department and was a professor there for many years, withdrew her acceptance to the university. They'll be more like her until NYU shuts down rampant anti-Semitism on campus. Pair that with the fact that one of the graduation speakers this week at NYU had no problem endorsing uh, BDS and speaking about Israel and the word apartheid in the same sentence. Your reaction? Well, first of all, I think the analogy is uh, an apropos one. As you know, when I started in the late 80s warning about the danger of Islamic fundamentalism, even leaders in Israel, let alone Americans, thought I was nuts and that this was never going to be a factor, as I was told repeatedly. And and it was only later on, and even today, there are people who are skeptical, and you, you don't, they don't include... Um, this source is part of the anti-Semitic uh, manifestations. In fact, I, I learned yesterday from Benjamin Weinthal that you know there's a 20% increase in anti-Semitic attacks in Germany, and they cited that nine out of ten are right-wing. Mm. But what they don't tell you is that they count all Islamist and Islamic-related attacks as part of right-wing, <laughs> and so they still don't get the uniqueness and the distinctions that that uh, are necessary. And today, I mean, we are facing a pandemic of anti-Semitic attacks. It happens all the time. The NYU has become a sort of showcase because it's in New York and because of the severity of what we've seen there, there and Columbia and elsewhere. Uh, it, start, it, it started long ago, and it, it manifests in physical assaults and, and uh, attitudinal uh, expressions and all sorts of manifestations, but highlighted when recently uh, the Students for Justice in Palestine got an award. Uh, the president disavowed it and wrote me a very extensive letter um, in response to our the concerns we expressed to him. And um, we, we, in fact, convened a meeting of the Conference of Presidents at NYU in order for our people to hear from the students uh, and to participate then in an event that the uh, Chelsea football team from England uh, put on to as part of their Stop Hate campaign, that they recognized what was going on at NYU. And I tell you this background because it's essential for people to understand that these are not as isolated an event as, as it might be portrayed. Well, anyway, when the students uh, start talking and telling their personal experiences, our presidents, who are informed about this, were shocked, literally, by 
the intensity, by the, the experience in, in, in the year 2019 on a campus in New York, not isolated. In, in, the, um, in the latest episode, a, a, a somebody who received a doctorate at the NYU, this was their doctoral commencement, not the general commencement exercise, and uh, the, the, his report was picked up, and especially on, on social media and widely spread, where he not only endorses BDS and says how proud he is at the university, and his department is the one that um, voted to sever ties with, uh, with the universities, with Tel Aviv University, I think, and other Israeli institutions, something rejected by the president and by the university. But the, the nature of his comments are is something people should see to understand the, the kind of intensity of, of feeling and how extreme it is, and especially if they know that this guy has an endowed professorship at Northwestern University. I, I think what this audience is most concerned about, and you could address this because of a meeting like the one you described, is NYU leadership uncomfortable with the whole thing? Yes. And... And donors and others have met with them and uh, with the leadership. And as I said, he wrote me a two-page letter reiterating his commitments and the positions that he's taken. Frankly, it's not enough. And, and you know, we had the case in San Francisco State, which was amongst the worst in the country, uh, SFSU, and they were – the pro-Israel speakers were hounded out. By the way, it can happen at NYU, too. And the uh, and other universities in this area and elsewhere, a Brooklyn College student had a dozen or fifteen stitches last week um, walking across the the campus. Nothing else other than the fact that he was wearing a comic yarmulke and got insulted. And police came, but the um, the family didn't want to press charges for concern about uh, the ramifications. Wow. His mistake was he got to report every incident. But we sued San Francisco State. The Lawfare Project took this on for two years with the help of Winston Strawn, a, a law firm, major national law firm that spent $3 million in pro bono work to prepare the case. And when it came to the court, they looked at what, what uh, had been researched, what, what they found. And before the trial began, the university asked to settle and to really gave everything that we could have asked for in a lawsuit and more. But the question, but yesterday they found a, a swastika in a bathroom in, in San Francisco State. It is a, a national plague, and there has to be clear determination. And, and I want to credit uh, Bob Kraft and uh, Roman Abramovich, the owners of, of um, the um, uh, the the Chelsea team, Abramovich, and the Boston soccer team, uh, revolutionaries, New England Revolution, who, who had who staged the game, twenty seven thousand people, but more than that, uh, the way uh, Baumkraft spoke and the others spoke with such determination, and they have this stop hate now campaign, and they raised four million dollars, which they're giving out for projects against anti semitism here in the United States. It's a a remarkable expression, and, and the event I spoke at the um, Kennedy Library event, which preceded the game, uh, and they and many prominent people came. It, it raises the concern, but what is most important is that non-Jews have to speak out on this. It's not the Jews' problem; it's everybody else's problem. We're the victims, but too often they say, "Well, you know, you guys deal with it. You're the Jews who who are victimized by it." No, we can't stop it. Everybody else can stop it. 
And until we deal with it from the left, from the right, from the Islamists, from all of those who are engaged in it, and that policy of zero tolerance, no more excuses and no more exceptions. And if I sound emotional about it, it is because I do see very uh, threatening harbingers in what has happened in the last and, and the escalation. In New York City, 60% of hate crimes are against Jews. In, and this year, the number has sharply increased. And the NYPD does a great job in following it and and going after it. And the, and the leadership is committed to it. But people have to report it, and people have to, and we have to find all the ways. Whether it's an educational system, prosecution, judges can't you know just give slaps on the wrist. There really has to be a clear message sent from every level. We're not going to tolerate The answer might be obvious, but what is your reaction to that tweet about the uh, incoming freshman who literally rejected, withdrew her acceptance to the university? I will tell you that uh, I have seen it now in some of the major schools. I was speaking on the West Coast, and a, a young woman was there, and she had just come back in the middle of the semester from Wesleyan and said she just couldn't take it anymore. And not a, not a Zionist activist either but just said it was intolerable. And, and I hear it all over, uh, from campuses all over, and we're fighting BDS battles everywhere constantly. Most times we win. Most universities stand up to it. And, and we have to focus more attention on those presidents of universities like Cornell, like Pfister, like um, Williams College, who stand against these forces of hate and the expressions of hate, which come from a, a small minority and usually city council, and they work to infiltrate the city council. They work to get people elected. Jewish students and others who, who are fair-minded, you know, perhaps don't run, and, and, and I don't believe they're reflective of the overall campus uh, attitude. But there is a growing problem, and now again we see the re- resurrecting the idea of Israel as an apartheid state yep. uh, more and more uh, in evidence. And the, so we are fighting all of these things. We're trying, and there are remarkable efforts ongoing by uh, people, volunteers, and, and professionals alike. And, uh, and more and more people are beginning to understand what this really means. And we'll, we're going to keep this issue at the forefront because it's such a vital one, as I described in the opening of this conversation. Uh, Malcolm, do we know anything more other than the excessive heat and the... Uh, and the wind, uh, you know, certainly uh, exacerbating the fire situation in Israel. Anything else to, to report about what some of our brothers and sisters are going through in this terrible time? We, well, you know, a number of countries, interestingly, have volunteered to help Israel in this, in the firefighting, as Israel's helped others when they came up with the problem, with similar problems, you know, with the, the super hot temperatures that they uh, have experienced now over several days, and everything is very dry. Uh, so it's uh, you know that it does not appear to be terrorism related at least so far. Right. <laughs> There's no evidence that that's the problem. The fact that they're ready to accept help, or at least it seems based on the media's reports, they're ready to accept help from places like Russia and Egypt. Does that tell us that Israel's firefighting capability is uh, is not up to par? You know what the truth is. It's very hard to sustain. It's expensive to to buy all this equipment, and you know the need arises once every ten years or twenty years when right. things like this, you know, come up. But um, and that's why they they joined Israel. Bought did buy some firefighting planes, but when you have a hundred fires going simultaneously, it's yeah. very difficult to to do it alone. 
One can only imagine. Your reaction to Theresa May's uh, uh, announcement about her resignation? Well, I think for us, it's, it's uh, for the British jury, uh, it's, a, it's a loss. Uh, I, and I don't believe that, you know, we're going to see another uh, May, that the polarization of the parties in Britain, Chas uh, the thought that uh, Jeremy Corbyn, who this, this past week was thanked by, his, by uh, Hamas for his support, uh, of a, 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 he didn't attend the rally, but he sent a message and said that if he's elected, you know, that he will freeze all arms sales to Israel and um, said other things in, in the course of his, um, of his statement, of his uh, remarks to them, and, and they um, expressed their appreciation to him wow. uh, for, for these comments. It's not the first time, and, you know, he has tried to say that, the, you know, he's not an anti-Semite, but if you look at the Labor Party, of which he is part, and of his uh, sections of the Labor Party, his support, uh, he, even in, when he gave the speech, which he supposedly denounced anti-Semitism, but immediately thereafter, they were all waving Palestinian flags, and he gave this fiery comments about the uh, support for the Palestinians. You can support the Palestinians, it's not when it's expensive Israel, and he is clearly uh, outspoken. He's an anti-Semite by every indicator, and uh, the, the thought that the Labor Party might win is is um, is dangerous. And the fact that Hamas, a terrorist organization, is thanking the guy should be, you know, should should um, freeze everybody's blood. And the he, and he said he would immediately recognize a Palestinian state. May that what she has was a friend. Malcolm, are you there? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Go ahead. We lost you for a second. Oh, so it, it may maintain close relationship with Israel. In fact, yesterday the um, British Foreign Secretary uh, sent a warning to, to Iran not to uh, underestimate U.S. resolve. And while they don't want war, if U.S. interests, which also means Israel, are attacked, they will retaliate. And um, and he said the long-term solution for Middle East is for Iran to pull back from its destabilizing activities. You won't hear that if there's a labor, labor victory. Right. So it's a destabilizing time. Forty uh, percent of British Jury said they'll leave if he gets elected. I think the number might even be higher. Many have already taken preparatory steps. The, um, the polarization and the politicization that is taking place, and as I said, the loss of the center should be of special concern because I believe Britain is often the model of what happens here later. And we have seen the radicalization in politics here, and it's um, to me, it's Britain is like a laboratory for us, and it starts in Britain from the top down, from the intellectuals, the creative classes, entertainment figures, others, opinion molders. Unlike in France, where it usually is bottom up, and and I think the United States follows that model. So the the prospect of her resigning, she steps down on June seventh. Um, we'll have to see if if, uh, if they go to elections, it'll raise a lot of concern. Um, what happens? She's officially replaced by a deputy or somebody in her own party until that, that election? Like- I, I don't actually know um, the rules. I do think that uh, that they get to to pick somebody to succeed, succeed her. And uh, we're uh, any idea of how far we are away from new elections? I, I just don't know how it works there. Like uh- uh, uh, no. I mean, we'll see if she if it doesn't work. Right. Then, but that, I think the you know the Brexit vote. We have to see what the outcome of the election on Sunday will be. You know, the European the EU elections 
have started already, and they have in different countries in different days, but the results will become clear on Sunday. And I think if if we um, uh, see the kind of uh, the trends in terms of some of the extremist parties winning significantly, I think that that will uh, give us a clearer picture of, of the direction in which things are headed. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web at com, on the Siegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Remember, our spring fundraiser is on. Please support the work we do every single day by going to fjbunity.org. Again, that's fjbunity.org. Malcolm Holmlein's with us. He's Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations. Now that Modi has won again in India and will remain as prime minister, can you remind us about the relationship between Prime Minister Netanyahu and him and uh, Israel and India in general? Well, this was uh, a really important uh, election because it's the world's largest um, democracy, and this is the biggest democratic process in the world. I think 900 million people vote or whatever. Wow. And and it takes months. You know, it goes over a long period. Um, And the outcome will only be known on Sunday. But right now, it looks like that he might get a majority, again, of the votes in the parliament, which is 542 people. Uh, And right now, it looks like he has over 300 of those seats. He had 282 in in 2014, and this is uh, 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 way beyond the majority of 272. So this is uh, a, an important expression because it's only the second time, I think, in 40 years that the same party has won back-to-back elections. And there were many who were predicting that he would go down to defeat, and he, in fact, won by a bigger margin. And uh, hopefully today, in fact, we'll know the outcome, uh, the final count of the election. And Netanyahu sent him a message. He sent one back. They, the United States, obviously, very supportive. This is um, the Hindu Nationalist Party that he had, heads. Um, hopefully, will continue, and that uh, can bring some stability in uh, and continued stability. But he has been a great friend. He's visited Israel. He's uh, spoken openly and, and uh, very forcefully. I think he's the first sitting prime minister of India to visit Israel. Wow, amazing. Uh, speaking of the prime minister, it seems that his request to delay the uh, the hearing um, uh, has uh, been rejected. And uh, even though he would have preferred if this was postponed for at least a year, it looks like the uh, attorney general is ready to move ahead. Is this it now? Is this now going to be, quote unquote, put on the calendar or there's going to be more of this jockeying for position on this issue? Well, they will continue to try to postpone it. The Prime Minister wants to postpone it as long as possible. He would prefer that it get off the agenda altogether, but I don't know that that's going to happen. <laughs> that may but, not be practical. <laughs> you know, all right. Um, but it's scheduled now for October, uh, and the after the you know, term of the holidays, uh, they will have the, the initial one. But remember, there are a number of cases, and we'll have to see how each progresses. Will they you know, pick up another one soon? Will they ahead with this one. Right now, I think that the likelihood is that we won't see anything until October. You know, when you're dealing with the prosecution of a prime minister, you have to be very careful and you have to be sure of what you're doing. And you have to do it uh, thoughtfully because ramifications for a country are very severe. And that's why the laws are, are different, that a prime minister doesn't have to step down, as opposed to a minister who's indicted has to step down because 
you know, a minister can come back if he's found innocent. A prime minister can't. It's just not the way politics works. And so they, it's treated in Israeli law very seriously. All right. Uh, this might be the story of the week, uh, and that is this, um, and I'll read from the New York Times. Palestinian businessmen have a message for the White House. It's a David Halfinger article. The message is, keep your money. Promising tens of billions of dollars in foreign investment as part of its peace plan for the Mideast, the Trump administration announced an economic workshop in Bahrain next month to show Palestinian business leaders the potential windfall they would reap under the American proposal, which has yet to be publicly disclosed. So is this is this the only part of the of the peace plan that we're aware of now, that there's some business component where they're trying to, I don't know, I wouldn't say buy off, but certainly try to convince um, uh, members of the PA that there's a real solid way to get your community on more solid economic ground if you cooperate? Well, so they, the, the administration's approach has been to keep this under wraps, and they've done a very good job of it. <laughs> and they've true. done a lot of preparatory work. Um, uh, Jason Greenblatt, others running around and, and took different countries to build support. Everybody knows how complex this undertaking and that it's a, it might be a Don Quixote exercise of mm-hmm. tilting at windmills because we know it's not easy. We know all the past efforts. We know that uh, Abbas is being obstinate, doesn't want to negotiate, doesn't want to have to um, engage in, in anything that would in, involve concessions on their part and, of course, uses the fact that Israel cut back 7% of the funding, which would have been made up, by the way, because of increased uh, revenues from their taxes. But he, he rejected any payment then from Israel. So the economic crisis is of his making. And we've seen the very strong statements that Greenblatt made at the UN uh, and that um, the Gaza suffering is because of Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad and they put the onus on the leadership of the PA consistently. And the, uh, it appears that the way that they will roll it out, that the first phase will be this conference in Bahrain, to which some Arab countries have already indicated they would participate. Uh, others, not, and we'll have to see whether it's really successful. What, you know, they, they, there's a history of them pledging funds that never get paid. And this is an attempt by the United States to raise money that will be an inducement to be able to create stability. And, and the truth is that people will feel a greater vested interest if they, and this has motivated many administrations in the past, if they feel that there is an economic stake, if they see the conditions of life improving and, um, you know, that hasn't guaranteed peace in the past, but it has been the theory behind uh, a lot of um, uh, the motive, the initiatives in the past. And here you have a president who an administration has really committed to it. Uh, many members in Congress have raised questions uh, about it. And by the way, we should note that 400 members of Congress wrote a letter to the president this week and, and saying at 400 out of 435 that our ally um, calling on the president to support Israel in defending itself against the face of growing threats, and they cite particularly the, uh, uh, the northern border, and that the United States should make sure they have the resources and materiel. So the, the good stories don't generally get covered, but that's one that people should know about. Back to the yeah, other front. I'll, the, I'll, yeah. the, the Palestinians have already rejected it. They said they're not going to participate. They're not going to send a, a so when you, and so when you said lobbying cer- the Arab countries not to participate. When you said that certain countries have already said they would, give me an example or two. Like who's who's going? The Gulf countries, 
uh, Egypt have uh, been putting a lot of pressure on the Palestinians to participate. And, you know, it's fascinating to, to, to watch who's going to, you know, reject this and and dismiss the event as the Times puts it as insulting and counterproductive. At the same time, though, I think what's more fascinating, frankly, is which business people are going to be attending this. Because I assume that if the U.S. is proposing or hosting this type of conference, they have to come with someone to the table who is a potential investor. And frankly, you know how investment works. You know, it, Stability is a very big factor when it comes to investment of large funds. And I don't think there's anything about the PA or Gaza or anything that's under their umbrella that looks stable at this point? Well, I think that they're going to look to the Europeans. They're going to look to who, who give a lot of money and have given a lot of money to the Palestinians, to the Gulf and other Arab countries who have a big stake in the stability in the region as well, uh, to give money. Um, the, the, um, they, they don't trust it. They call it a kleptocracy, the government of the PA, because the money disappears. It doesn't right. end up benefiting the people. If you look at the countless billions that have been invested and in, are poured into the into the PA areas and support Palestinians and, and in fact we don't see the economic development and all the other things that were um, hope for they even sabotage the joint economic areas and and of course BDS was something they invented and, and hurt their own people with it so the you know the initiative itself we'll see what will happen over time. There are people who believe it will never come to it, that we won't see anything, and if we do, maybe this meeting and nothing beyond it. I know that they have met with business people here in the United States as well to gain support for uh, the initiative. It will require a a great deal of money, uh, and the question is, can they raise it? How much of the United States doesn't want to foot the bill? They want to be the organizers and... uh, see the others come step forward and and participate those especially who are so vocal in their support for the Palestinians translated into into uh, real talis and, and 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 with the growth and the threat of Iran and with all these things anything that would help stabilize the region would be important and but there's I no think the skepticism of about the Palestinian response is valid and there's no other part of the peace plan that's been revealed this is it They've done an amazing job keeping it quiet, and uh, you know, obviously, it has to be a political component. And many people, some of the experts, you know, say that you can't just take one piece out of it. If there's a political horizon, then you won't get support. So I guess there will be a statement of principles of somehow the framework of this without the details. Uh, but I know that there have been ongoing discussions, and uh, there have been little hints here and there, but. Uh, until they, it, it's probably not going to come out until the end of June. Right after uh, the, after this conference, more. I assume. Right. And if you knew more, you would tell this audience, correct? Absolutely, I tell them everything. That's what I figured. Almost. Um, you know, someone comes, someone stops me on the street this week and says, "You think Bibi's going to form a coalition?" And I'm like, "Wait a second! I, I thought I thought this is over already, and it's an automatic." And then, of course, today I read that it's no automatic; that there there could be some bumps in the road. Is there progress in terms of actually forming a government? Well, they say there's progress, um, uh, but the uh, and then there's talk that Lieberman will be the uh, defense minister, right? And I think you the, predicted that here, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yeah. and that, uh, but there's still uh, not clear how many votes because the differences between the different parties over, you know, the um, draft law and other laws. 
Right. Uh, it's very difficult to have a to go in with a 61 vote government without a margin of at least 66. You know, gives leverage to every single person that they can bring the, you know, defeat a government initiative. If not to have the majority of 60, uh, the um, uh, so it, it, it has been very complex. The prime minister is now on the extension, and but he doesn't have limitless time. He needs to wrap this up in I don't know another a week or two or 10 days. They have to have this finished. I don't know exact deadline, uh, but the prime president gave him an extension. And then, then they can turn. The president can turn to any member of the Likud to see if they want, if they can form a government, an alternative. And there are some who say, you know, blue and white members would come with an alternative leader. Right. That there could be other um, arrangements. I don't think that's in the cards. I think Netanyahu will be the prime minister, and he will cobble it together one way or another. The, it will be a very large government. They voted it in the Knesset to extend the uh, government, maybe thirty ministers. Wow. which is very unwieldy, and, and always in the past they worked to cut it back, but in order to satisfy all the promises and commitments to the parties, it looks like it'll be a huge government. And you've been in those conference rooms, not enough, not enough seats at the table for something like that, huh? <laughs> you know, they need a separate building. It's crazy. All right, a couple of, I can't believe how quickly this time goes, but a couple of quick things here. Well, I don't know how quick, but important. Uh, you got to tell us about this discovery in Brest, uh, the Belarus border with Poland, and its significance in modern Jewish history. Could could you tell us exactly what happened, what the discovery was, and what's happened since then? Well, the discovery is still ongoing. They're they're digging in a building where they believe they will find more than a thousand bodies, mostly women and children. Unbelievable. They were uh, lined up and killed, and this is. Uh, it's so heartbreaking. I can hardly read the stories when you you think in Brest, which was a such an important uh, place where the uh, Briska families came from, and the big Jew, the, the long Jewish history there, and it, and it's reflective, I think, in the larger sense. And and by the way, met resistance in the attempt to to try and recover the bones and to to engage in the research. You know, Father Dubois has been traveling around in Ukraine and other right. and Russia elsewhere, and he claims that there are many more victims than the six million because of all of these killing uh, places where when Jews came back or during the uh, Nazi occupation, the uh, locals joined in massacring the Jews, and they had mass graves in many places, and they covered them with cement to protect them. Uh, they often looted the um, uh, so that you know the the finding of this one highlights for people what has happened often, but doesn't get uh, the media attention that this did. Unbelievable! And the juxtaposition, excuse me for comparing, but again, when you think about this unbelievable turnaround in Jewish history, did you read this week that Eminem Mars is building a research and development center in Jerusalem? Yes, I think it's a, a, a great development, not just for Mars, but for Israel. And for the, this is the world's largest candy company, and it's one of, of a number of companies that have been recently um, done this, and they don't do it in a clandestine way. You notice this is yeah. it's done uh, very publicly, um, and the recognition by them of what they stand to gain, and many other companies that are scouting buildings in Israel now because they want to move their um, part of their research and development centers there because of the creativity that is unique to, to Israel. Unbelievable. And by the way, and, it, and with all of this, the World Health Organization this week met and voted 96 
to 11 to condemn one country for mistreatment or failure for health care in the territories. Was it Syria? Was it Saudi Arabia? Or Libya. Was or it Iran, Iran or, or Libya? Iraq, or all the countries that deny people treatment, not the one that treated 3,000 Syrians at their cost, risking their lives every day to take out Syrian children. 50,000 Gazans and West Bank people come to hospitals in Israel and, and people lining up to volunteer to drive them to hospitals where PA is charging the people to get online on the queue to go and now cut them off and said they can't go to Israeli hospitals anymore, except if you're a leader of the PA, then you get to go. And um, five more countries this year joined uh, the, the pro, uh, rejected the resolution, Germany, uh, Czech Republic, Brazil, Honduras, and Hungary, but still only 11 and 96 voted for this resolution. If the hypocrisy of the U.N. isn't clear from that and the irrationality of the moves, the anti-Israel moves, you know, Syria in, this week it became clear used chemical weapons in Idlib again, and the U.S. has said that there's evidence of a chlorine attack. It wasn't a call. They didn't call a session of the Security Council. The United States is pushing these issues, and thank God they are, and have been very consistent in, in doing it. But th- this hypocrisy is just, it, 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 you know, it defies comprehension. You can't believe all the things that, that we see, the contradictory things that we see, that go against all logic and, and rationality. I got this text from a listener. Uh, they wrote, um, this week I heard Malcolm speak with the Colonel Drawer, who commanded 700 missions putting his troops in danger into Syria to help what I think he said was 250,000 Syrian civilians. That number is staggering. Could you ask Malcolm about the details of those missions? Yes, I actually went up to, the, to see it myself in the middle of the night at 4 a.m., in freezing cold in the Golan, and they would cross the border after the uh, snipers would go out first, and then um, trackers to make sure that there were no terrorists in the region. And then they would bring buses with people to back to Israel. Then they built clinics in Syria itself. Today that, that has ended because of the change of the situation in the north with Hamas, Hezbollah, and all the others, and the Syrians moving back into control of the area so that that uh, no longer continues, and we wonder what the attitude of the people will be. So the the much larger number is those who are affected by the treatment that were provided and the training to doctors in these clinics that they set up to benefit people. The 3,000 are just those they brought to Israel at a cost of hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe more, to Israeli hospitals because it they couldn't. They didn't come with insurance cards um, <laughs> to be to be treated there. Unbelievable! The whole thing is incredible. Um, why is there suspicion that there might be new chemical weapon attacks in Syria? Because there was evidence of of it, and you know they can test uh, for it. And the the um, um, and and this also, this tells you how much the, the surveillance that's going on. But they are are still systematically persecuting the Kurds. We see the uh, activities in Idlib, it's a Kurdish uh, area, and, uh, and, and they feel that, the, the people feel that they've been abandoned. Uh, and now this, this um, report, I guess it's still to be confirmed, but the United States seemed to indicate that uh, it's a valid accusation. And finally, based on what you told us last week, and really the news of this week, uh, one can say that uh, Iran's leadership stubbornness uh, continues to, um, uh, to um, uh, contribute 
to the um, devastation of their economy and, frankly, to the suffering of their citizens. Absolutely. You saw that uh, uh, Rouhani gave a, a speech. Yep. Uh, it says that his design is writing the speeches for the mm-hmm. United States. Which was unbelievable. And, I mean, the, the, uh, there are so many developments that we can't even talk about uh, clearly, but do you see that they are – uh, there are reports that zero heavy oil um, and uh, leaving the terminals, the oil terminals for foreign ports between May 1st and May 9th. Zero. That's what the tracking uh, data shows. Um, that the uh, Hezbollah and others and their clients are being hurt by the cutback in funding and that they're becoming more desperate. But at the same time, the RGC is involved in naval combat training in Latakia in Syria, and they're using Afghan uh, fighters and with Shiite Iranian brigades that the um, uh, that the um, uh, the extensive activities that they're engaged in where you see the buildup where they brought ships to the Gulf and they they still maintain the threatening things and announcing that that in fact they are increasing the enrichment of uranium and that they can get in four days to, to 20% and then to 90%, which is weapon grades, goes very quickly. Uh, they, they, and they're, they're challenging the West all the time uh, uh, with these and, and challenge American interests, i.e. Iraq and, and American troops in Iraq, etc. And U.S. has said that they can't pull out if, uh, in the view of these threats, we have to do more to protect uh, our, our troops there. Iran continues in the wake of this devastating economic impact that the sanctions are having, and there will be more sanctions coming, look for it next week and, and, and the week after, um, they have a really strong impact for those who, who are saying, well, we should do military. I think then these are more effective, and you see the people growing more restive in the, in the face of this. By the way, Turkey also impacted by this kind of economic uh, downturn, and we'll have to see whether, in fact, the, the Turkish situation plays out with the Russians about the S-400. The United States has given a warning now to, to drop the purchase of the missiles, and, the, and they even talk now about building them themselves, which is just a joke um, because they're not capable of it. But these, these are real tension points, and every one of them can escalate. So we should watch this very carefully. I thank you. Mazel tov again. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak Bezrat Hashem next week. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. I remind everybody who's tuned in, if you enjoy and appreciate our programming on a daily basis for 35 years, uh, please give and support us at fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, to keep JM and the AM and the Nachum Segal Network going. Uh, we have great sponsors. We have wonderful advertisers. Uh, without your help, without the component of listener support, it's impossible to move forward. Simple as that.